Today we're going to talk about life-giving relationships, all right, and what the Bible has to say about that, what God has to say about that, because we do talk a lot. We value at the Vineyard small groups. We value home groups. We value our men's ministry, our women's ministry, and we can just go on down the line. A hospital care ministry that goes and meets people in the hospitals and shut-ins in our homes. It's those personal touches, those personal relationships that mean a lot. Today we're going to talk a little bit about why those are so important. And uh, the first thing I'd have to ask you is, have you ever been thirsty? I mean, I mean, have you ever been in a situation where you had to ration water? It's hot, you're thirsty, maybe you only brought one bottle of water with you. You get about halfway down and you're going, man, I, I still got like four more hours to go here. And you start just kind of doing the little sip, maybe pull the cap off. You know, thankfully, a lot of us here have, have never been in that position of really being thirsty, at least for this stuff. One of the things that really attracted me to the vineyard when, when we were looking for a place to serve and where God was kind of directing us was the fact that we value water. A lot of generous people in this congregation send money to India to, to drill wells and because clean water is important. Fresh water is important. It's life-giving. And when you're thirsty, you, the water just kind of drains out of you, kind of like this. And you're just never the same again. You're just not the same again. I'm thirsty. I remember when I was a kid, and I'd go out and play, and it'd be all hot and everything, and you come in, and you get that cool glass of water, right? And you drink it, and you can feel it. You can feel it go down. You're like, oh, this is the best thing ever. It's the greatest thing ever. I remember we were out on a, a, a mission trip to Alabama one spring break. I had taken a, a bunch of kids and actually families with us. Some parents went. It was a great time. And uh, it was nice because it was kind of cool in Ohio, but it was really warm and sunny and nice in uh, rural Alabama. And we were going to help some people put a, a new roof on their home after Hurricane Katrina. We were going to kind of scrape some paint and help them get their house back together. A really lovely uh, couple who uh, just could not do it for themselves. And uh, we got down there, and there were about 14 of us, and we arrived in the van and unpacked the tools and everything. And there were two things I always provided for our participants on a mission trip. The first was a T-shirt, because you've got to have the commemorative T-shirt, right? You know? And uh, the second, though, was a water bottle. And I'm not talking about one of these little guys. I'm talking about the big, you know, 32-ounce hard plastic or aluminum bottles that you just keep with you, you keep filling up. And it was a big issue. One of the things that I just drove home was you got to keep hydrated, keep hydrated, keep hydrated, keep hydrated, keep hydrated, right? We just kept talking about that because here's the deal. Without water, you die. little FYI, okay? So we're out. The first day we go out to this house, and, and like I said, it was beautiful. It was warm. It was sunny. And we get out there. We're tearing shingles off the roof, and we're sweating. We're, you know, an hour goes by. We call water break. Everybody go take a drink of water. So we get back up on the roof. We're scraping on ladders and stuff, and an hour later, everybody take a break. So, so you kind of get where we're going here. Well, after about eight, nine hours, we decided to pack it up, head back to the house where we were staying have a little supper, and go to bed. And there was this young guy named Willie. And Willie is a, 
well, at the time was a junior. He's now an amazing uh, freshman in, uh, in college who is just this brilliant guy. And this brilliant young man decided he wasn't going to drink water because he doesn't like the taste of water. Okay, so we get back to the house after like eight, nine hours, and this kid crashes. Scares me to death. I'm like, his dad's going to kill me. Um, He's flushed. He's got kind of this fever starting to work. He's kind of clammy, not not a good thing. And we just, we we prayed, and and, and thankfully we had a, a woman who was a nurse on our team, and she came and she, we got him cold compress and got him to drink some water and and had him lay down, and, and, uh, and he was okay. He did all right. He survived. He's good. And after about 14 hours of sleep and rest and some food and lots of water, he bounced back. I was very thankful for that. The next day, we went to the job site. When I called water break, the first one to the cooler was Willie. <laughs> we learned our lessons. I told you he was a smart guy. I wasn't lying. Here's the thing. Um, water is important, in case you didn't know. Um, we need water to live, and without water, we die, right? I mean, these are two basic, very basic facts of life. Embrace it. And that's the way that good, solid, healthy relationships are. They're like water to the soul. People who feed into us. People who invest in us. It's like having a fresh drink of water. Right? We need to have those people around us because we are called to invest in each other. It's a two-way street. And to bring life to each other in our works, in our words, and in the love that we share through Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. That's how we bring life. We are called as believers and followers of Jesus to be in life-giving relationships with one another. That's why we're hitting this, this small group idea pretty hard this, this month, that whole life together. It's about doing life together. There aren't a lot of Lone Ranger Christians. Jesus himself picked 12 guys and said, come, surround me, be with me. I need you. I need you to do ministry with me. He took, out of those 12 guys, he whittled it down to three guys and said, you're my inner circle. You're my tight guys that we're going to hang out. We're going to have those special moments together because those relationships are life-giving and we need each other to make this work. So today, we're going to take a look at what life-giving relationships look like. And I think the best way to do that is to see what God says about it. So we're going to crack open our Bible, see a little bit about that. John 13, 34 through 35 says this, a new command I give you. Notice he says a new command. He doesn't say, hey, let me kind of tell you something. Hey, I got a suggestion for you. He says a new command. This is a way of life. This is something you need to do. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Kind of repetitive, isn't it? But I think he's kind of driving something home here. He's saying, look, God is love. 
And if you love me, you need to love each other because that's how people are going to know you're followers of me. If you're bickering and backbiting and gossiping and instead of making deposits into one another's hearts, you're pulling out and making withdrawals from one another, they're not going to know you're my disciple. You don't look any different than the world. Love one another. Look at how many times he says, love, love, love. I've loved you. Love one another. It's about love. It's about, and here's the thing. You, you can't have one without the other. We're going to talk a little bit about that in Mark. One of the teachers, this is a very famous passage. Many of you have heard this before. But there's a point where Jesus is talking to some people. And they're kind of debating the law, and they're debating about some things of, uh, of uh, the law of Moses and what's going on in Jerusalem there. And, and one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. And he noticed that Jesus had given them a good answer before. And he asked them, well, here's the thing, Jesus, of all the commandments, which is the most important? That's kind of to back Jesus in a little bit of a corner, Right? We think of this as a lot of times as the Ten Commandments. Okay, there's ten, pick one. But he's talking about the whole law of Moses where there are hundreds and hundreds of laws. And he's going, and traditions. And and the, the teacher says, Jesus, give me the one. I dare you. Pull one out and you tell me what it is. And Jesus says this. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. We'll stop right there for a second because immediately, now remember he's talking to a predominantly Jewish population here. And when they hear that, that is a call to prayer. Boom. The hackles go up on their neck and they go, whoa, he's going to say something about God. Something big's happening here. This is what's called the Shema. It's a very important call to prayer in Jewish tradition. Hear O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. Anybody ever heard that before? Okay, good. What's the greatest commandment? Jesus said two, love God love each other. And he did it in such a way that he spoke right to his target audience. The Shema. Boom. I'm going to pull out that prayer. People listen. You see, these two things, it's kind of funny that they said, what's the one greatest commandment? And he gives them two. Because they're connected. They're inseparable. You cannot love God without loving each other. That's what Jesus is saying there. You you can't separate them. And all the laws fall under that. If you love God, if you love others, you're not going to kill them. You're not going to murder your neighbor. You're not going to covet your neighbor's things. You're not going to lie on each other. Love God. Love others. John says this. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. That's harsh words, but let me read it again. Whoever claims to love God 
yet hates a brother or a sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. It's inseparable. They will know you are my disciples by the love you have for one another, by the life you're speaking to one another, by the fresh water that you're pouring into one another, by the good stuff, by the life you're pouring into each other's soul. And see, life-giving comes in all sorts of shapes and sizes, right? There are people who are amazing encouragers. They see the good in everybody. And I, I admire people like that. I am not like that. I'm not like that at all. I wish I could be more like that. I pray for that. I pray to see the good in others because there are some extra grace required people that I just go, I got nothing, God. And I have to pray about that. But there are people that just encourage, I mean, every word out of their mouth is positive, refreshing water that encourages, that builds up their friends, their loved ones, the people that they care about, even the people they don't care about. It blows me away. There are people who have that gift, and it is a gift. The Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit moving in them to be able to see that. There are other people that have the opposite. They pull life out. And I don't want to dwell on that a lot today. I kind of, yesterday I was on the way back uh, from a conference in Florida, and we're on the plane, and, and I'm going over my notes for today. And I'm like, it, it wasn't what I'm talking about now. I'm like, I don't like that. Throw it away. Let's rewrite this. And, uh, and the reason I didn't like it was because I, 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 I went back and forth with, this is life-giving, this isn't life-giving, this is life-giving, this is I don't want to do that. Let's talk about what life-giving is. Let's talk about the positive. Let's focus on what God is calling us to do and not worry about what the enemy is pulling us over on his side to do. If we worry, I don't want to say worry, if we invest ourselves in doing the do's, we're not going to have time to do the don'ts. So let's focus on how we can be life-giving to one another. That's a little excerpt, a little commentary, no extra charge for that one. Now, sometimes life-giving statements, sometimes life-giving love and relationships comes in a little different form. Sometimes that form is called tough love. Anybody ever been the victim of tough love? <laughs> the, the, I don't know, there's just no better way to say it. You really are a victim of tough love sometimes. It's the love that hurts a little bit. It's the brother or sister who is invested in you who is poured out. I mean, they just come up to you and they crack open all the bottles, man. They're like, man, I love you. Here, here, just take it all. Just take it all. And every once in a while, they have to say, hey, a little empty. Something's wrong. There's something wrong. Hebrews, Hebrews 10, the writer of Hebrews 10, 23 to 25 he just got done talking about the lordship of Jesus Christ and how amazing Christ is, how he's become our high priest. And then he goes uh, into this encouragement for believers. He says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. We're professing hope. 
to each other, to the world. We're professing hope in Jesus Christ. For he who promised that is faithful. And let us, how, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Man, that is like he wrote that for 21st century America. Don't, get, don't, don't be like the people who give up meeting together. Get together, people. I know, I know your schedules are rough. I know you got 47 soccer practices and 23 baseball practices and this to go to and that club to be a part of and these dinners you need to take care of. But make time to get together with some godly people who are going to invest in you and whom you can invest in. He uses an interesting word here, the writer of Hebrews. I'm going to go back to that in just a second. It says this. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Now, here's where the tough love comes, because a spur is not an overly comfortable thing to a horse, but it is effective. I, I have not been raised around horses. I have been on the back of a horse once. I have never used spurs. I, I was on a horse that kind of did this, and that's about it. That's my speed. I had a guy who worked for me when I was doing construction who was a rodeo cowboy. And he had the whole deal, man. I mean, he had the chaps, he had the boots. He had, I'm like, that's a man's man. He had the belt buckle that was like that big and had like a bottle opener and something on it. I'm like, man. And, and so I talked to him about this, Pat. He was a believer, too, which was really cool. And I said, tell me, tell me a little bit about the whole spur thing. And he goes, you know, really it's uncomfortable, but it doesn't cause the horse to bleed. It doesn't create cuts or wounds in the horse. But what it does, it creates a little discomfort to help them get in the right direction. I need that in my life. I need that in my life. I need godly people around me who will come to me with love in their heart and spur me on to good things to redirect my path when I get off a little bit. I've got a couple very good friends who I confide in. And I say, man, I, I, I don't know why this is going this way. And they go, well, because you're being an idiot. I love you. And the people who have invested in us, the people who have poured out into us, have the right to do that. Don't they? Because they've already invested in us. They've already watered us. And they, they spur us into the right direction. We need that. So let's keep on moving forward here. It, well, actually, I want to I hit one more verse because this is just a cool one. In uh, Proverbs 27, it says this. Better, uh, this one's not on the thing, sorry. Better are wounds from a friend than kisses from an enemy. Let me read. Let me say that again. Better are wounds from a friend than kisses from an enemy. Better is the spur that kind of jabs you in the side from a dear friend who is concerned, who loves you and wants the best for you than those kisses all over your face from your enemy who doesn't 
give anything about you. It's important. It's a great, it's one of my, I love that one. Life-giving statements are not always flowery, lovey-dovey. Sometimes the best someone can stay are the hardest things we need to hear, guys. I need that stuff. And we have been called to give true life-giving relationships, and those can be difficult, but I guarantee they're wonderful. It may be difficult to fit it into your schedule, but they're worth it. It may be hard to open up sometimes. Guys, let's face it, we're not good at that. You know, women, you, you have been programmed by our Creator to be better at that than we are. But guys, we need it every bit as much as these nice ladies. And ladies, it's hard too. I'm not, I'm not discounting that. It's difficult. But find that friend. Find that person who will speak life to you and who you can speak life to. Remember, it's a two-way street. We got to be watering those flowers too. But let me give you a warning here real quick. And this is, this is what I wanted to not really focus on, but I am going to give you a warning here that not all relationships are life-giving. There are relationships that are brutal and that will break you and that will break us and that will hurt us. They will speak nothing but venom to us. And I will say this right now, get the heck out of there. That doesn't mean you don't enter into a relationship with people who are not from this congregation or your favorite church or whatever. Well, this is your favorite church, right? But it doesn't mean you you only, you know, hang out with the, the Christian crowd. It means you hang out with everybody. But when people start spewing that venom at you, man, just, you need to turn tail and go. Because there are relationships that are just brutal. There's a kid in my youth group, and, and every day I, I was amazed, this lovely young woman. And I would go into youth group, and she, I'd say, hey, how you doing? She'd go, you smell funny. Or, you look stupid today. Why'd you wear that shirt? I don't know. My wife dressed me. I can't tell you. But everything, there was never a kind word that came out of her mouth. And it blew me away. I mean, I know her parents. I know her siblings. They're not like that. I couldn't figure out what was stuck in her craw. I prayed about it. I'm like, Lord, what am I going to do? So I went up to her, and it was the end of the, end of the school year, kind of end of May, and I said, here's the deal. By the end of summer, you're going to be my best friend. She said, like, heck I am. I said, oh, like, heck you are, because I got Jesus on my side. We're coming after you. And every Wednesday night we had YouTube, every Sunday morning we had church, I would seek her out and I'd go, hey, how are you? I love you and Jesus loves you. I hope you're having a great week. And it killed her. I kind of like that. It was awesome. This young woman went on to be an amazing woman who loves Jesus. We got to see her a few months ago at a wedding that we we attended. She was one of the first people to come seek me out and hug me. How are you? I like your shoes. She's another shoe person. I appreciate that. When you speak life to people, doesn't matter how dry and cracked that ground is, eventually that ground gives way. Eventually the water starts soaking in, and it's important. And there's a, there's a third kind of class of person, too. There's that kind of stagnant person. They don't really 
speak death to you or venom to you. They don't really hurt you deliberately, but they're just kind of there. They don't speak life really either. And, and I would just say to that, you know, those are one of those things that they may not just, you know, they may not just pour out all your water. They may not be the person who gives you death, and they just, they don't even pour it out. They shake it out, right? And they crumble you up, and they throw you down. But they may be the guy that just takes your last little bit of water and just lets it evaporate. They don't invest in you. They just kind of shake your bottle a little bit and let you evaporate. We need people in our lives who are going to pour into us, that are going to refresh us, that are going to bring us life. Because no matter how how hard we try, we can take all the stuff that people have poured out, and we can pour it in, but it is a slow, ugly process, and I'm hoping that this carpet is semi-water resistant. Because if I start trying to go too fast, it doesn't do too well. But I got paper towels down there, so we're okay. Are you kind of getting where I'm going here? Let me tell you one more story before we kind of finish up. There's a woman who lived in a village hundreds of years ago. And every day in the morning while it was cool, she would grab her big clay pot and walk about a mile down to where the well was and fill her clay pot with fresh water for the day. She'd put it on her shoulder. She would walk it back to the village, to her home, where she would use it to clean, to cook, to drink, to bathe the children. But the problem was that this beautiful, giant clay pot had a little crack in it. So every day as she walked back from Walk back from that well, a little stream of water would just kind of shoot out. By the time she got back to the house, she never had more than two-thirds of a pot of water. For years, it was the same thing. Walk down to the well, fill the pot, put it on the shoulder, walk back, take your two-thirds of a pot of water, use it for the day. And finally... One of the other women in the village came to her and said, why? Just get a new pot. Patch the pot. Do something, but you're killing yourself. You're walking a mile to get water. You bring it back, and you got like two-thirds of a pot of water. Why are you doing this to yourself? They said, come with me. They began to walk down the path, and the other woman noticed that on on the one side of the path, there were these beautiful wildflowers blooming. On the other side, it was just rocky, dirty, maybe a few weeds springing up. You see, every time that lady would walk down, she'd get that water, and every time she walked back, that little stream fed those flowers. Those little streams just fed the earth, and beautiful things were happening. And that, to her, was more important than having that full jar of water when she got back to the home. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And I'm going to ask you one more time again. Do you have those life-giving relationships? Do you have people around you 
who surround you and pour into you regularly. You know, there's only so much we can do here on a Sunday morning with like 250 of our best friends hanging out in a big room, right? And we love it. I love it. I love coming on Sundays. I love worshiping. I love praying. I love hearing a word from God. But there's only so much we can do here. I don't want to live like this guy in the video who has the purposely shallow small group, man. I want to go deep with Jesus. And the only way I can go deep with Jesus and experience his love is to experience the love of the people that he puts around me. So do you have that? Have you surrounded yourself with those people? Because, man, they are our oasis in the desert. Life's tough, man. It's draining. It'll dry you out. It'll crack you. We need people who are going to just continue to water us. So here's the deal. Let me ask you this. Which water bottle, bottle are you? This one? Maybe this one? Not quite full? Maybe you're this one. Maybe you're the one that's really full, but the lid's never been removed to pour out into anyone else. God's good. God loves you. We have an amazing, amazingly generous God. Pours out to us. There are just verse after verse throughout that Bible thing we talk about a lot. Where the Holy Spirit, the life that God gives us, is equated to water. Where he sends his rain. Where he opens the floodgates where he pours out on us. It's a beautiful symbol. Are you living it? Are you enjoying it? Are you following him? Are you walking that out with believers, with brothers and sisters? Are you trying to do it by yourself? It's kind of funny. As Last night, I we actually got back and was on the plane rewriting everything, and I thought, man, you know what a great song would be? Be a song invitation found. And I almost called Imy last night at like 10 going, hey, I'm <laughs> putting that in there and came in today and guess what? Guess what the next song was? And I went, God's amazing how he shows up. And I don't think it was a coincidence. But I love this song. All who are weak, all who are weary, come to the fountain. Come to the fountain. We have some people in our church who are wonderful people who love to pray with others. They've been trained through our prayer ministry training classes. I'm going to ask them to come up and just kind of, usually we put them off to the side. You know what, guys? Just kind of line up here for me. Just kind of line up here and here, if you will. And if you find yourself in that desert place where you're like, I, I need something. I need refreshing. I need life. I need water. I need God to send his rain. I need to not only go to the fountain, I need to jump in the fountain feet first and jump up and down like that little kid. These people are here to pray for you. So we're going to sing the song, and if, if you feel that little stirring in your heart, come on up. If you don't feel that stirring in your heart, come on up anyway.